confined to a wheelchair. He was unable to attend Sunday's Miles for Macy charity walk due to the progression of the disease, according to the Miles for Macy Facebook page. Nicole Addinger, Meniere's former student and event organizer, says he and his family's positivity through it all is something she'll never forget. If anybody had the right to be upset or sad about the situation, it was him and his family. But even a testament to his family is they were just as positive. So the Menear family entirely, a wonderful example. A celebration of life will be held next Saturday, June 17th at Lewisburg Alliance Church. The church is located at 137 Supley Mill Road in Lewisburg. Family friend and organizer Beth Ziegler says Miles for Macy will still continue with next year's walk scheduled for June 2nd. Proceeds will go towards ALS Research and Meniere's family. State police conducted a sobriety checkpoint last Saturday night into Sunday morning in Kelly Township, Union County. Troopers from Milton and Sealand Grove were on Route 15. Troopers say approximately 270 vehicles were stopped. Three drivers were arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol, and eight drivers were cited for summary vehicle code violations. AccuWeather says a shower in places this afternoon with a high of 71 and then a shower this evening, otherwise cloudy and a low of 53. For tomorrow, spotty drizzle in the morning, otherwise rather cloudy and cool with a high of 68. For the latest news all the time, head on over to WKOK.com. I'm Sarah Benick, WKOK News. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Great to have you with us on the show today. Tomorrow we're going to have a writer of a book about the Boston Olympics and the Boston Olympic bid and why cities should not go after the Olympics. I think it's a segment that we should email to somebody within the confines of the station. MP3 file, what do you think, Sean? That can easily be converted into an MP3. I can do that in a matter of, oh, under two minutes. Perfect. Sure. Need the email? (laughs) (laughs) We got that. We got that. (laughs) <laughs> this isn't funny. <laughs> this isn't funny. And you knew that before I a- before you even asked the question. <laughs> That's what I did. Asked for entertainment I, uh, value. I appreciate I appreciate his love of the Olympics. But it is now 2017. The business model doesn't work. It doesn't work. Oh, they've been really promoting yeah. it heavy during the Stanley Cup final. Yeah. Oh, no, well, they have. Oh, look, I mean, for them, they've got so much invested in it. I mean, can you blame them? Oh, you don't have a choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you, too, can watch Lindsey Vaughn on tape. Oh, wait, they didn't say that part. All right. Josh Getzoff from the Penguins Radio Network in a moment. First of all, our play-by-play call of the day. Last night, Nashville tied with the Penguins, and then a goal to put them in front. Ellis banks it intentionally off the end wall. Referee try, and that one is poked away from Gaudreau. Watson for Smith, but a whistle behind the play. They're going back to the whistle. Looks like it went in. All right, that's why the fans are cheering. Here's the announcement. 
After video review, it was determined the puck crossed the goal line. <laughs> and that put them in front 2-1. to one. And they never looked back. That's Pete Weber with the call on 102.5, the game last night. Pete has been with that club since day one. What a thrill it must be for him. Frederick Goudreau, wraparound goal. They put them in front to stay, tied the series at two. Goudreau now joins John Harris of the 43-44 Chicago Blackhawks as the only players in league history to score their first three NHL goals in the Stanley Cup final. We're going to have Greg uh, Wyshynski back on tomorrow from Puck Daddy Yahoo Sports. But now we turn to Josh Getzoff from the Penguins Radio Network. Josh, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Thanks for having me on. I think uh, something I'd said uh, going into Game 3, is the one thing that would worry me about this series is if Pecorine returned to form. It looked like he did. What's your opinion on how he has played? Yeah, he's he's been better. Uh, there's no question about that. And, Steve, I think you can agree with me that he had nowhere to go but up uh, right. after Games 1 and 2 right. uh, in Pittsburgh. Those were, those were a couple rough nights for him. And I think this series truly doesn't take on a turn until Pecorino proves he can play how he did in Nashville in Pittsburgh. But you're right. Uh, he played these two games probably the best he's played in this series. You started to see a little bit more of uh, why he got the Predators to this point. Because make no mistake, he's as big a reason as that, why they are here. Uh, in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, but, you know, last night I think the saves that he made that really jump out to you are the ones in the second period. Right after that Penguins power play had expired, uh, the point-blank stop on Gensel, and then the other save on Gensel after Crosby's pair of backhand chances that he made that miraculous save with his blocker uh, was, it was a terrific stop as well. So, you know, you do uh, tip your cap to Pecorino. He was, he was a great goaltender for the Predators in these last couple of games. Uh, but, again, uh, until he does it in Pittsburgh, it might not matter in this series. Right, exactly. They have the home ice because they earned it. Uh, Phil Kessel, can you figure out where Phil Kessel is right now? Well, that's a good question. Uh, you know, Phil, I think, is, is in a, a situation here that I think Sidney Crosby battled through last game. And I, I'm not putting them on the same par by any means, but right. at, the, at the same sense of maybe not generating the offense in the way that he or the coaching staff would like them to, not putting enough pucks on net. I'm not a huge guy as far as the shots on goal are concerned, telling the whole story in the game. And this Penguins team clearly has proved that that doesn't necessarily always matter in these playoffs. But you do want to make it a little bit more difficult on Pecorino. You do want to get more shots towards the net, especially on the power play. And Phil just has been reluctant to do that. There seems to be a little bit more of a, a pass-first mentality for him. And Mike Sullivan talks about it all the time. In fact, he just talked about it on Sunday after the Penguins practiced in Nashville ahead of Game 4 that the coaching staff is always looking with Phil and looking at video with Phil and speaking with him about trying to get him to shoot the puck more. He has one of the most lethal shots in the National Hockey League. He's obviously an elite goal score. Uh, this is well known, and every time he lets that snapper go, you, you feel like it's going to go in, because the thing is a bullet, uh, and goaltenders uh, very rarely react on time to it. Most of the time, if it doesn't go in, it just goes wide, as we saw on his one snapper last night that just missed the uh, park on Pecorino. So, I think the goal for him is to start putting more pucks on that. I know that sounds simple, but when you're a goal scorer like Phil Kessel, and you get away from doing that, you're not going to be as much of an impact player as you had been beforehand. So, I think that's something to coaching staff is still trying to drill into him with him uh, and, and you know obviously a power play goal or two 
for him and the Penguins would go a long way towards jump-starting that. No question. You know, we talk, I opened the questioning about Pecorine. You know, he only faced 23 shots last night. He didn't face 43 and stop 42. He faced 23 and stopped 22. So offensively, has Mike Sullivan talked about the need to get more pucks in his direction? Yeah, he did. And, and, you know, you look at this team, and you're right, the twenty mid-20s, low-20s shots on goal last night. Penguins, as we mentioned, they haven't put a ton of shots on goal, uh, really, the whole playoffs. If you look at what they did against Columbus and Washington, and then I guess Ottawa, they hovered around the 30s and maybe into the 40s in the mm-hmm. last couple of games. Uh, but there wasn't uh, the output that we were used to seeing in the regular season. Now, they're still the highest-scoring team in the playoffs by a huge margin. I believe it's almost 15 or 16 goals that are ahead of the Nashville Predators, who actually are second. Um, but, you know, this is a group that they need to make it a little bit harder on Rene. They need to crash the net a little bit more, put more pucks in the dirty areas and create rebound opportunities. I feel like there haven't been a ton of second-chance opportunities for the Penguins in this series, specifically uh, in the games in Nashville. I was talking last night on our post-game show about uh, the amount of times if you watch that game that you could count how many times the Penguins really rolled the lines over, maybe getting a cycle going in the Predators' end and creating opportunities. I didn't count a single time all game, and that's a problem because that's something that they're going to need to work on. You need to start to wear on this national defense because they did in games one and two in Pittsburgh as those games wore on. It was clearly obvious as we saw what happened later in the stages of both games one and two. But, you know, Nashville has those big four defensemen, uh, Yossi, Ekholm, Subban, and Ellis, and they're going to play 25, 26 minutes a night, and that's great. That's a luxury that they have. But at the same time, if you make it difficult on them for – 16 of those minutes, I mean, come the third period, there could be a big dividend paid into your favor, and the Penguins need to start getting back to the basics as far as making that uh, more difficult on those four going into Game 5. I asked about Rene. What are your thoughts on uh, Matt Murray? I think I'm in the minority here, Steve. I hear a lot of people are being pretty critical of his game uh, the last couple, and he hasn't been outstanding by any stretch. I don't think anyone was good in Game 3, but I, I, I find it hard to place the blame on him for the loss in Game 4. I, I just feel like the Penguins still as a group, and they admitted this after the game, they just weren't crisp enough. I mean, their puck management has just not been great in their own end. Uh, Nashville's forecheck has given them some problems, and you tip your cap to the Predators. They are not here by mistake. I mean, they're a really good hockey team, and they're going to be taking advantage of any opportunity given to them, as we've seen. Uh, but, you know, I just think the Penguins have been outworked a little bit here these last couple of games. It hurts me to say that, but it's true uh, for what we've seen on the ice. And I think, you know, put, you put Matt Murray in a lot of odd-man rush situations, a lot of net-mouth scrambles. The Predators clearly have made it a point to try to make contact with him whenever they have the opportunity. And uh, he's, you know, he's, he's hung in there well, I think. And I actually thought last game in the third period, he really battled in giving the Penguins a chance to remain within two goals. Uh, the Predators had some great chances early in the third period. And if you know what, if any of those shots go in, obviously that's a ball game right there right. in the early stages of the third. But he gave the Penguins a chance. I, I would be really surprised if he's not back in goal in game five. You know, Mike Sullivan has always said we're going to go with the lineup that gives us the best chance to win whenever he's asked about decisions within his lineup. Uh, and I still feel like Matt Murray gives the Penguins the best chance to win in game five. Uh, I know there'll be a lot of people calling for Marc-Andre Fleury, and I get it. I understand where he's coming, where those thoughts are coming from, but I just have a hard time blaming those losses on Matt Murray. Uh, I'm with you. I, 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 I would not make the move. I think that I think Matt Murray is actually his guy, uh, and I think that when he had the first opportunity 
uh, with Mark Andre Fleury to quote move his guy back in there. He went with his guy. I think he. I think Matt Murray is his guy. Yeah, he so, is. Sometimes, uh, he sometimes it's that. Sometimes it's that simple. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think I think you know you're right. When the, in that Ottawa series, Flurry obviously had been unbelievable in the playoffs, and in that opportunity to get Murray back in there, he did. And I mean, everyone's seen the shot now of Murray sitting on the uh, bench with the ball cap on, kind of just glances over at Sullivan and gives him a head nod as if to say, "Okay, I'm taking this net back right now." And that's basically what's happened uh, from that point forward. Uh, I, again, I, I just don't I don't put games three and four on Matt Murray. I put it on the group as a collective unit. I'm sure the players uh, would feel the same way, and I would not be at all surprised to see number 30 lead them back out into the ice for game five. I know that you talked about being, you know, being outworked. And, uh, uh, somebody brought up earlier on the show, and I'll run it past you, uh, the Penguins made a deep run and won it all last year. Then many of them had to get back to work for the World Hockey in September. Now it's mm-hmm. a deep run again. Is there any, now, hockey players wouldn't talk about it, but is there some theory out there that fatigue has set in? Well, I think they're human. I mean, I think that's a that's a realistic thought to to just think that maybe they are a little bit worn down. They, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. As far as that World Cup of Hockey is concerned, that was less than a hundred days after they've won the Stanley Cup right. when that when that tournament started, and you're looking at. Uh, Crosby and Malkin and Matta and Hornquist and Hagelin and Murray, all in that tournament uh, and all playing beyond the uh, um, preliminary round going into the knockout phase. So they're playing two-plus weeks of hockey before they even get to training camp. Uh, and then obviously the 82-game grind of the season and now here through four rounds in the playoffs in two seven-game series. I think fatigue is a realistic factor, even if you didn't go to the final last year. Um, with everything that you had. And obviously the Penguins did do that. They played through the injuries that they had last year within their lineup to get to uh, winning the Stanley Cup, and now they're back here again. I, I think it's a very reasonable um, thought to, to say that they are a little fatigued right now. As you mentioned, they're never going to admit that, if that is the case. They're never going to admit the pain or the fatigue or the bumps and bruises that they're dealing with right now. And I think when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I know it's easy for me to say, easy for anyone else to say, not being on the ice. But you just got to win two more. Right. So maybe you can bear down and find a way to get there. And you also know that two of the next three, if you need it, are in your building. One final question, Josh. I'll let you go. Uh, great as always. Appreciate it. You have two coaches that are great at adjustments. For Mike Sullivan, the point to get across to his team about adjustments is easier because they've lost the last two. So what adjustments do you think must be made by them? Well, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a couple lineup adjustments, Steve. I think the main one to watch here over the next two days is going to be Benino. Um, because that, that to me, I mean, I, I, I don't know what you thought going into this series, but I thought the most clear-cut advantage the Penguins had on the Predators was down the middle. Yep, uh, especially absolutely. without Right, without Johansson. Uh, Mike Fisher has loaded up on the points in this series, but he hadn't recorded a point coming into it, uh, into the Stanley Cup final. He was also coming off of an injury as well. Then they had Colton Sissons. Uh, they had Callie Yarncroft. And Freddie Goudreau, who's become a, a household name here at the Stanley Cup final, second game winning goal last night. It's actually, just to go off topic for a second, it's kind of interesting that all four games this series, the game winning goal has been scored by a rookie. 
because it was Gensel in the first two and Goudreau here in the second two. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but, you know, you look at that matchup. They've had 12 points in, in the four games. They're centermen. And you look at the Penguins centermen. I mean, Malkin had a goal in the first couple. Uh, Crosby obviously scored last night. But uh, you're not getting anything from Cullen. Uh, Carter Rowney has been okay in that role with Benino out. But you miss a guy like Benino. And I think that's going to be something to watch here. If, obviously, if he's good to go, he's going to be in. I think the extra day might help him on that front, considering he did try to take warm-up yesterday. He did practice on Sunday. So clearly... Uh, he's getting closer uh, to maybe coming back into the lineup if he's able to on Thursday night. But defensively, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a change either. And, and there's nothing against guys like you know Ron Hainsey, uh, who I think has been a huge piece of the Penguins getting to the point to where they are. I mean, he's been an absolute monster and, and done well more than I think anyone could have expected as far as the time on ice that he's logged and the responsibilities that he's taken uh, on that Penguins blue line without Chris Tang available and without uh, much of his time here. Trevor Daly also a part of the fold. So he's really played a big role for them and, and stepped up and been huge. But I almost think that a, a faster defenseman would help against this Nashville forecheck. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chad Ruedel potentially get a look. Now, Mike Sullivan does have two days to dwell on it. As you mentioned, he's so great at making the tactical adjustments. So he may see something in the film that doesn't really need to have a, a lineup change uh, done to it to make anything change on the ice. But uh, those are two things that I'll be watching here over the next couple of days. Josh, always a pleasure. Great work as always. Enjoy the broadcast very much and uh, appreciate the time you gave us today. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Thanks a lot. Talk to you soon. Josh Getzoff from the Penguins Radio Network. We'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us. Uh, our thanks to Josh Getzoff uh, from the Penguins Radio Network and Lafitte Pinkai from NBC Sports. Previewing the Belmont Stakes on Saturday and Game 5 between the Penguins and the Predators, which will be tomorrow night. So a lot going on. And we just want to get get uh, get to it. You get big events, we want to talk about big events. Simple as that. You know, things that you're going to be watching. You'll you'll take you'll take two and a half minutes and watch the Belmont on Saturday. You'll take a couple hours, watch the Penguins on Wednesday night. Uh, I don't want uh, this segment to end without mentioning two very important historical notes. Uh, we just went through the weekend, which was the 75th anniversary of Midway, which is probably the battle that turned around the, the war in the Pacific in World War II. And, of course, today is the anniversary, the 73rd anniversary of D-Day. You think of all those brave and probably scared to death men who either had to parachute in land on that beach under a hail of gunfire and bombs had to somehow scale a cliff and they saved 
a continent. They saved people and probably saved the world with what they did 73 years ago. How brave they had to have been, even though they were doing what they were told to do. And probably, in all likelihood, were scared out of their wits. They got it done. A lot of lives were lost 73 years ago today. A lot were. A lot of lives were lost at Midway 75 years ago, which was over the weekend. But I did not want the day to go by without the mention of that, because there are certain elements we cannot forget. Cannot forget. I know it's a sports show, but we can't forget certain elements of our history that have allowed us to be sitting in the spots that we're all sitting in right now. If that fails, where are we now? Where are you and I right now in our lives if that fails? 73 years ago. something we don't have to think about or worry about because we're all sitting in the spots we are right now in part because of what they did. They freed people, they freed a continent, and they saved the world. And I don't think that's an understatement. So I wanted to make sure that this uh, show did not go go by without the recognition Probably the number of D-Day veterans 73 years later is probably a very thin number. Same thing with Midway. They'd all be in their 90s right now. But I want to let whomever, whether it's a relative or them personally say thank you final half hour coming up looking forward to it 1-800-795-9565 taking your calls at 800-795-9565 this is the steve jones show on news radio 1070 wkok now from the sunbury motor studio here's steve jones sunbury motors 4th street in sunbury sunbury motors kia routes 11 and 15 in hummel's wharf Time now for our Sports Bozos of the Day. Rex and Rob Ryan. They went down to Nashville for the Predators game and crashed the bachelorette party. Rex even was complimenting their feet. Oh, boy. Odd but true, my man. Odd but true. Ah. So strange. And they had some time to kill, so. (laughs) Great. How about, okay, uh... A couple quick notes. Let's get to the news part of it. Uh, we mentioned Penn State, Georgia State. That will be a 7.30 kick. 
Uh, Penn State is uh, as Akron first. It's an ABC game. Then 3.30 in, what, ABC ESPN for the pit game. So this is the first opportunity that BTN has to put Penn State on, and they want to do it in prime time. And uh, I think people forget what... Uh, I always, I always love when people say, you know, well, Penn State probably asked for this, or they finally asked for that. And you, ask, you don't ask for much of anything. TV tells you when you're playing. This is their call. Remember, and this is this is very difficult to get across. I think sometimes, especially if you're a fan of another sport, football and men's basketball are TV shows. They fill time slots. I'll give you a perfect example of remember Penn State wrestled Ohio State what two years ago? Was it two years or a year and a half ago? Year and a half ago. They wrestled Ohio State in the Jordan Center and BTN wanted it on at six. So they started at six. And a number of people complained to me about the start. And I remember driving down College Avenue. I had just finished the show. And I had to go down College Avenue to uh, the football office or something. And the long, long, long line of traffic. It was sold out. And a lot of people got in after it started. And I had complaints about it, which I completely understood. But I said, look, I said, I understand what you're saying. I said, but I said, understand this. I said, you're the same people who complain that wrestling doesn't get on TV enough. So they finally put you on TV and you complain about the the start time you get. I, I said, I don't have much sympathy for that. And they said, well, why not? I said, because I do football and men's basketball. I said, that's all it's about. They want you to play at noon, you play at noon. They want you at 3.30, they play at 3.30. They want you at 8 o'clock, you play at 8. They want you at 7.30, you play at 7. They want you to play at 6, you play at 6. All over the lot. Basketball. Let's see. Tip-off times last year were 11 a.m., noon, 1, 2.15, 5 o'clock, 6, 6.30, 7.30, 8, and 9. Those are all the tip-off times last year. Football and men's basketball are a TV show. TV tells you you're kicking off at 7.30. You kick off at 7.30. Why, for example, is the Penn State-Ohio State game a 3.30 game? You would think that's a marquee game. You know, Fox would want it to have it on... At night. No, because Fox already has a TV show on at night on October 28th. They have the World Series. So what they would like is that from 3 o'clock until 11.30 at night, 3 in the afternoon to 11.30 at night, they want you watching Fox. With Penn State, Ohio State, to them being the perfect lead-in to the World Series. They, They are now looking at what they hope is a blockbuster ratings day. But, you know, again, football and men's basketball... TV shows and basketball literally played each one of the seven days of the week last year 
you play when they tell you to play. Well, BTN finally had a chance to get Penn State on. They wanted to put the defending Big Ten champions on in prime time. So it's going to be a 7.30 game with Georgia State. Now, the timing's pretty good, too, I think. You know, if the weather holds out, you're always worried about the weather. But it's also the last full weekend of summer. You know, nice, you know, nice day of tailgating, enjoying it. And go from there. So that was announced today. Next, mentioned Thad Motti yesterday. Out. Uh, and we'll find out if they want to do Now, today at Michigan State, finally the three names of the individuals uh, that were arrested and charged with sexual assault. Now, again, they're innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. But the three are defensive tackle, defensive end Josh King, wide receiver, corner, Donnie Corley, and he played both ways last season, and safety Demetric Vance, who redshirted last year. And this also goes with uh, Austin Robertson, who was kicked off the team back in... April. So that is now four members of that 20 man class that they have that have now been, have hit trouble and have been released from the team. So those are the three names that were finally released today. So those are the three big stories in the Big Ten. Uh, Dan, uh, I'm sorry, Ron in Danville. Hi, Ron, how are you today? Yeah, hi, Steve. Uh, just curious to know, based on what you were speaking about with regard to television dictating when you play basketball and football games, is this the reason why the Big Ten is exploring more heavily the Friday night option? No, well, okay. Uh, as you know, Ron, I don't agree with the Friday night option. Uh, I I think the SEC and the Big Ten don't need Friday night games. The Friday night option, I think, is more to give exposure to programs that they think need more exposure. If you notice, the ones that were put into the rotation were Purdue, Rutgers, Minnesota, schools like that. They were put into the Friday night rotation. Northwestern pulled out. So instead of six games, they're now down to four games. Northwestern finally said, no, we're not going to do it. I think it was more to give programs exposure on a Friday night with no other uh, relevant competition against them. But what's happened, though, is this, Ron. I was talking with Tim Newton, who does the play-by-play for Purdue, and and Penn State was playing basketball at Purdue after this was already released. I said, Tim, what's been the reaction around here to having a Friday night game. He said, not good. He said, even here in Indiana, it may not be like Pennsylvania. He said, but even here in Indiana, Friday night's a high school football night, and a lot of people are not happy about it, and Purdue's had to kind of sell it to them, and it's a one-night-only thing. And I think the Big Ten, Ron, was surprised by the backlash uh, of playing Friday nights and having it interrupt Friday night high school football to do it. And I think they were a bit taken aback by that. Okay, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Ron. Great question. Appreciate it. That was an excellent question, as a matter of fact, uh, that he brought up. 
I think it was an excellent question you brought up. I mean, because Penn State from the beginning says, hey, all right, we'll do it on the road, but we're not going to do it here at home. Michigan said no right away as well. Uh, I think Friday night is a night where maybe the Big 12 gets a game, maybe a late Pac-12 game, maybe an American conference game. Hey, Cincinnati's playing UConn. Okay, you know, since he's playing Houston. Where if you play it on a Saturday, uh, a Houston-Cincinnati game or a Houston-Temple game gets lost in the wash, but on Friday night it gets its own spot. Friday's also difficult in another area. I mean, think about this. Let's just let's just play and play a scenario out here where Penn State is hosting a Friday night game, even though they said they won't. Say they're hosting a Friday night game. Well, how do you do it? What do you do with all the employees who are taking up all the parking spaces at Innovation Park, Stadium Lot West, Stadium Lot South? A lot of students park there. What do you do? How do you work it out where people who have to work or go to class on a Friday, uh, how do you work it out so people who are coming in for the game get their regular spots, and what do you do about the traffic on a Friday? Because there's still going to be people working, so you got people coming and going, and it, it is to me it is a logistical nightmare. It's a logistical nightmare. That's a great question, Ron. It really, that's a great, that's a great question. That's why I always love talking to the audience. The audience always has great comments and great questions all the time. You know, I can sit here and I can try and think like a fan all I want, but at the same time, it's it's so much better when a fan like Ron calls in and gets right to it and asks a question that's just spot on. 1-800-795-9565. Again, that, that's what it comes down to. It's um, Your TV or football and men's basketball are TV shows. I mean, that's what these contracts are all about. You know, I mean, I mean Fox and Fox and ESPN got into this thing for the football and men's basketball thing. They're not carrying any of the, any of the sports. BTM will carry the other sports. CBS is only going to have basketball. Uh, but and so when you ask about the Georgia State thing, which you know it, that's the reason why. And I mentioned about Michigan State, uh, Corley, King, and uh, Vance are the three. All three were going to play. Two of them were going to start. Uh, Austin Robertson, who was already dismissed from the program in April, probably had a good chance of playing a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's just from the football point of view. As for the uh, legal point of view, let's let the trial play out. Let's see how it goes. Innocent until proven guilty, so we'll find out when a, in a court of law what the what the facts happen to be and where the facts lead them. For now, they're all charged. Even the prosecutor, Carol Seaman, 
said in her statement today that the charge is only an accusation. And then, of course, there's the Thad Mata situation where now he's out at Ohio State. So it's been a big news week um, in the Big Ten. All right, we'll take one final break. Back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Drew Kelly on drums. Always been impressed. I think during his Penn State days, he had a gig or two down at the G-Man. Matt Catrillo on trumpet. (laughs) That was his minor aquarium. Sarah Benedict. Tambourine. All right. Great to have you with us on the show today. Uh, you know, I was in the front office the other day. You know what I noticed the other day when I was in the front office? Out by Sammy's desk. Yeah, here two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. AccuWeather demo. What was that about? That's uh, tied in with one of our digital media products. Oh, really? Yes. There's no crowd around it. It is a pretty slick demo, though. We'll give it the suit credit sick. for that. Yeah, we'll give the suit credit for that. Yep, it's one of the uh, cutting-edge things he's working on right now. It's one of the it's, saw, it's one I, of the most cutting-edge things I, he's working on. I've right never here. I've never associated the suit with the cutting words cutting-edge cutting edge before. <laughs> <laughs> now tomorrow we have a show on about uh, the Boston Olympic bid. Guy wrote a book on the Boston Olympic bid and why, in his opinion, the days of heated bids for the games or anything, even the World Cup, are over and why big cities should not go after it. Now, remember, it's what it was for the 2016 Olympics. And I think they were going to do the bid in 2009. Remember this? Uh, Chicago was one of the four finalists. And President Obama personally flew over to help and try to seal the bid. And it ended up going to Rio de Janeiro. Chicago ended up finishing actually fourth out of four. 
but that's the last time I think there was a heated, gotta have it bid for the Olympic Games. I mean, L.A. and Paris are going after the 24 games, but there's a lot of people saying that Paris will get 24 and L.A. will get 28. Because it's just out of places that want to bid for it. And the climate isn't right for it. The money isn't right for it. And I don't know what, what kind of economic benefit you get. There's been a lot of talk that people would love to see L.A. get the 24 games and Paris 28, but Paris doesn't want 28. And the reason they want L.A. to get it in 24 is that they feel they can put together the economic model again that can get the Olympics back to solvency. So we'll talk to him about this tomorrow because Boston originally had the U.S. bid for 2024. Many thought they were going to get it. And then you could tell right away, like, oh, no. So we'll talk to him about that tomorrow. Thanks to Lafitte Pinkai III, who was on today, talking about the Belmont. Great guest. Josh Getzoff and the Penguins and the Preds joining us from Pittsburgh. They're, they're back. Game five is tomorrow. Great guest. Dick Girardi's on Friday at the Belmont. There's a lot going on. Richard Justice yesterday, great guest. Replayed that this morning uh, in my car. Had the podcast on in the car on the way in this morning. Outstanding. Oh, it worked? Yeah. Sounded even better the second time around. Oh. You added more to the interview put, second time around. Who, uh... <laughs> Who put that together? You mean Captain uh, Cutting Edge? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the avail- the availability of having our podcast now on iTunes and Google Play? Uh, that'd be the yes. suit. Yeah, that would be the suit. Yes. Yeah. And it worked? Yeah. Oh. So far, so great. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, you didn't have it on tape. Just play it back at the car in the CD. <laughs> I think I got rid of my Panasonic take, uh, tape deck a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Although I doubt the old Panasonic tape deck, I'd be able to find a cord that would be able to, you know, plug from the tape deck into the uh, auxiliary jack in my car. I don't know if that'd work or not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, interesting. They were breaking down numbers. They were showing that younger people are watching more soccer, but older people are now watching more baseball than ever. Basketball. Interesting. And golf, obviously. And they do. They do a lot of analytics. But then there's Charles Barkley. He isn't the only. He's probably the only guy in the face of the earth that can go to an NHL game. Bash the NBA, whom he works for, says that an alligator should eat Jeremy Roenick. And tell Barry Melrose he's the best analyst on hockey because he doesn't have to, quote, deal with the wussies of the NBA. <laughs> and then walks off and go hangs and then gets to go hang with Mario Lemieux and everybody in the third quarter up in the sweep. He's the only guy I watch on TV, other than Bill Walton, that when he's done, there's a mic drop every time. <laughs> We 
are your home for the Philadelphia Phillies. News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury.